You will just take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 21. We're continuing our study in the parables of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And today we come to one where Jesus is talking about the, the tenets. And as we set ourselves up, it's the last week of Jesus's earthly life. And so he's giving these teachings to the disciples and others that are around him. And he tells a story before this one, a story of two sons, one that he told to go out into the field and one uh, says no, but then repents and goes into the field. But he says to the first one, will you go? And the, the first one says, yes, I'll go, but then doesn't go. And God says, or Jesus says to the people, he says, which one obeyed? And they said, well, obviously the one that went into the field and did what they were supposed to do. And so he's talking to the religious people at this point, and he's saying, this is the way it is with you. You say you're going to do the right things, the things that are righteous, and yet you do not do them. And yet even the prostitutes and the tax collectors will come to saving faith before you will. And so for them, it, it's, a, it's a warning to the people, a terrifying warning, but to others is a word of comfort. And so that's what sets the stage for this confrontation with Jesus and the religious people. Now, I want you to understand that just because it's dealing with the religious uh, people and specifically religious leaders, that it's just not, uh, a, this is not just a, a sermon for your pastor. Okay, now you might think that, and there's applications for sure that I've had to deal with, but this is something that we should all be uh, looking to and asking the question of, how does this apply to me? What are the areas of life that I need to look at? Because again, sin traps us. And it traps us in a place that, that again, we, we begin to, to forget the commandments, right? And what, what do they say? What's the, the, two, the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we need to be asking the questions, are we fulfilling that? And so that's the warning that he comes. And so this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 21, starting to verse 33 through 46. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug in a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again, he set other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, he will put these wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never ever read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. 
And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, this is your word and your Holy Spirit has given your people the opportunity to write these words and now he comes to us to give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. So Father, teach us, definitely allow us to hear the words of comfort, but for others, may they hear the warning that those who bear fruit are the children of God. So Father, you You come and minister to us now. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So it's God's vineyard. And so we want to look at the parable. And so we're going to look first at the story of the parable. And so we're going to look at the characters. So the landowner in this parable is God. And as God is the one who plants it, he is, uh, again, if you've ever heard of people planting vineyards uh, for wine, they say it takes a large um, sum of money to get a small sum of money out of it. And it's a long venture. And it's uh, something where you have to plant and you have to bear and you have to keep putting money and money, 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 money into it um, for a number of years before you begin to see the fruits truly of your labor. And so it's God is the one who's put together this land. And so he is the one who's planted it. But then he leases it out to tenant farmers. And the tenant farmers we come to understand are the religious leaders of the day. There's also the messengers um, that he talks about. And these are the prophets that have gone before Jesus. And then ultimately it leads to the son who is Jesus himself. Now the vineyard is Israel. It's the people of God. And the people of God were supposed to be given to the world, to all the nations. They were supposed to be a blessing. That's why they are the vineyard. And they would have understood that. They would have understood the prophet Isaiah talking about them. They would have known this by heart. They would have sung the praises. And so they would have understood that when Jesus was talking, about this vineyard, he was talking about them. And they were supposed to be not bad, rotten grapes, but they were supposed to be pleasing, precious grapes, but to be ones that were supposed to go out into all the world to be a blessing to all the nations. So there's the characters, but now what is the plot? Now the people, as they began to hear the parable, would have thought, oh, this applies to Rome. This is about the Romans, and the Romans are the bad people, and they're the ones who are the bad tenant farmers, until Jesus gets to a place where he starts to apply it to the religious folk, and specifically the religious leaders. And so, again, it says that they, they perceive that Jesus was talking about them. So they hear the story, they begin to, to recognize that the story's not about the Roman people, but it's about them. And listen, Jesus even asked them to render judgment. And so even in their hearing of this parable, they render judgment upon themselves. They render judgment upon themselves twice. The first one is he says, now what, what's going to happen after the son's been killed? And they said, well, when the master comes, he's going to throw out the tenant farmers and he's going to put them to a miserable death. And then he's going to let out the farm to other people. So they've already figured out, hey, they're the ones who are the tenant farmers. And they deserve death. <laughs> And then the second thing is they says when Jesus then switches the analogy and he goes back to Psalm 118, and we'll look at that a little bit later, um, he says, you're the one who's rejected the cornerstone, the capstone. And it's going to fall upon you and it's going to crush you. And so they understand, they hear what Jesus says, but they don't repent. 
So we have this, the characters are set up, the plot's set up, but then you start seeing these religious people reject the messengers. Now we understand it because there's a mistreatment of the messengers. And again, we know that it's the prophets that have been coming and they've been saying to the, the people of God, you need to listen and you need to look forward to. Now again, the religious people are people that should have been looking for the Messiah, right? That's their point. Hey, we're looking for the one who's going to come that was told back in Genesis, right? Genesis 3.15. We already knew that there was going to be something special. Because it said from the seed of the woman is going to come one that's going to crush the head of Satan. Now, men have the seed, not the women. So now, did Adam and Eve understand that? Did Abraham understand that? I, I don't think so. I think every time that they had a child, they would have been asking the question, is this the one? Is this the one that God's talking about? Is this the one that's going to become the Messiah? But they keep getting it now generations upon generations upon generations down. And so they're not really asking the question anymore, but they still should be looking for the Messiah. So even remember the wise men come and they said, hey, where's the baby going to be born? Well, they knew the baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you knew the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, don't you think you would have been looking at Bethlehem every year? You think, right? If, if we say, hey, the next superstar is going to be born in Melbourne, we're going to keep an eye open. So every time that there's a child, we're going to be asking, is this the one? But you got to the point where they were just like, ah, we haven't seen the Messiah. So you know what we need to do? We need to take care of our own vineyard. And so we need to take care of ourselves. And so we can get a lot of power. We can do a lot of things on our own. And so they quit listening to the word of God. They quit listening to the prophets that came. Now, listen, that's not hard to do. There's a, um, there's pastors have weird, um, things that they do. We have weird, um, sense of, of looking at cartoons and stuff. So there's a cartoon out there and it's, it's a bunch of ducks that go to church and they sit there and they listen. And the duck, that's the pastor gives a, a sermon on soaring with wings of eagle. And the ducks are all quacking, quacking, quacking in unison of like, yes, that's a, that's a great thing. We need to have wings like eagle. And then the next thing is they're waddling outside of church. So they hear the word of God, but it doesn't affect them to fly. Sometimes we hear the word of God and don't apply it ourselves. You know how I know that? One of the things that's boogered me up for the 15 years that I've been here is when I've asked people to move forward in the congregation. Hey, we got open seats. We need to move forward so people don't sit in the back. And every time, everybody just looks at me. I said, move forward. Move forward. Now, if you're not listening to me for that, what else is not being applied? See, God's given us a very specific warning (laughs) because it's very easy for us to hear the word of the God and not listen. Hear the word of God and not apply it. And when that happens, what we become is we become religious and religion kills people. See, we have to take the word of God and it has to be taken within us and it has to be applied at the very core of our hearts so that we can live it out. Because if we're not living it out, then again, we're wasting our time. 
And so there's a mistreatment of the messengers. They quit listening. But not only that, then they kill the son. Now, a question for us is, why would the landowner send the son? If he's already known that all the messengers that he sent have been killed, why send his son? See, any landowner, if you understand landowners in history, landowners are not nice. And so you know this has to be of God because all the other landowners, if you're late, now think about this. We're in a moratorium, right, for, um, for the giving of your um, rent. And we're just about, it's just about to come up. And they're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who might possibly be homeless because they haven't been paying their rent. Um, and then they look and they say, well, because the government hasn't given enough money or whatever. But people haven't been paying their rent. Now, all the homeowners are going to be so happy to let their runners stay and not pay rent for the next year, of course. No. I see very soon sheriff's departments knocking on people's door. Today's the day. Are you out? See, landowners cared about the land and the profit. They didn't care about the people. So this is something very different than God sends Jesus. And he says something very specific because they will respect my son. Now, they kill the son. And that's a question, too. Why would they kill the son? They're thinking. Okay, again, as I've done the study and I've looked at the commentaries, the understanding is at this point, Probably the tenant farmers were looking and saying, if the son is coming, he's probably coming to collect as an heir. So the landowner has probably died. And so the son's coming to now take over the land and to to take over the, the process. So here's what we do. We kill him because once he's dead, there is no landowner. So we can go to court. And during this time period, they could go to court and they could make an appeal and say, hey, we've lived on the land. We're the ones who are doing all the work on the land. There's no longer any son and no more landowners. So this should belong to us. And that would have gone over. They would have owned the land. So they kill the son. But they do it and they throw him outside the vineyard. Now, why do they do that? Now, listen, this is, this is how religion gets so messed up because they didn't want to defile the land with the blood of a murder. Because that would have made the grapes unholy. So listen, they're okay with murder as long as we do it in the right place. Sometimes that's how we deal religiously. It's okay to cuss, but just don't cuss in the sanctuary. I mean, come on. This is the holy place, but out there. See, we have to understand that, again, he's coming to us and he's saying, where's your heart? And so they reject the messengers, but how does the landowner react? The landowner reacts by showing his love and patience. Now, he does this a couple of different ways. One, we know that God has a perfect love and his love is from everlasting to everlasting. So he doesn't love us any more and he doesn't love us any less. He can't. His essence is a perfect love. 
And so we rest in that. But he's also, he gives to us covenantal love, which means that he has gone, he has promised to us to be our faithful God. And he always keeps his promises. He's always faithful, always perfect. And so he's been sending these messengers after messengers after messengers, and he sends his son. And the whole purpose is he's saying, I, all I'm asking for is what I am due. And so he's calling them to repentance. Repent, which means for us, we need to look and do a self-examination and say, where are we? What are our idols? Now listen to me very, very carefully because you can listen to me and some of you are going to get ticked off and I'm going to start getting emails this week and all that kind of stuff. So I want you to hear me very, very specific. Something becomes an idol when it becomes more important than the glory of God. So some of you, your idol has become your family. Some of you, the idol has become your career. Some of you, it has become simply to be comfortable. Some of you, it's become an idol of just doing things well. Now again, none of that stuff is bad in and of itself. Pastor, are you saying I can't go visit my kids or my grandkids? No. My question is, if that becomes your sole focus and you're not doing anything to give God the glory or you're not doing anything to to train up your children in the righteousness of Christ, then it becomes an idol. So again, we can take good things and we can make them ultimate things. And that's what happens when people become religious, because this is easy. This is easy to check off a box. Hey, God, I've, I've come. I come to church. I do what I'm supposed to. I can check all the right boxes. And he says, where's your heart? Where's your heart? And so we need to examine because, listen, God is giving us a warning as a call to repentance. And that's a loving thing. He doesn't want to see us destroyed. He doesn't want to send us to hell. That's not who God is. God, by his love, is sending over and over and over and over again. And again, I'm already feeling like I'm already too negative. I want to be your positive pastor, even if I'm saying hard things. But this is a warning, and it's a warning that Jesus gives, and it's something that we should take very, very seriously. And so we have the the parable that's given, but then we have Jesus going a step further by bringing judgment on the tenants. And so Jesus begins to, to go very specifically to the religious people, and he goes to Psalm 118, where the judgment is announced. It's what Ed read for us earlier. And now remember, he's had the long, lengthy Psalm 118. But Jesus goes to something very specific in one verse of of the, the psalm and says, here's where you've messed up. You, you can give me the glory. You can say all the right things. You can come to worship. You can do all this. But it's, it's here at this moment where the, 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 the capstone, this cornerstone, you rejected it. 
And it becomes the exact capstone for the building. And he looks at them and he says, why? Why did you do this? And so they're rejecting it. And so for them, listen, don't be so, so hard on them because they're coming in. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, by whose authority are you saying this? And Jesus says, I am the son of God. Well, how do we know you're the son of God? Because he's just now, remember, he's had a lifetime of miracles. Listen, Muhammad didn't do any miracles. Joseph Smith doesn't, didn't do any miracles. Part of our understanding of why we believe Jesus to be the Savior that he is, the Son of God, is because Jesus comes and he fulfills the prophecies. He does the miracles because that's his way of saying, this is how you will know that I am the Son of God. And listen, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead. That's pretty significant. And so he's looking at these religious people and he says, I have shown to you that I am the son of God. And so listen, these religious people have seen it. Listen, it says they have seen it and they still reject it. And so he says, that which was given to you is now taken from you. And because you've rejected me, because you've hardened yourself to God's word, because you don't listen anymore, then it's going to be taken from you and given to others. Now, again, before we point, pictures, point our fingers at them, point it back at ourselves and ask this question. Do we, especially in the Reformed faith, think that we've figured it out? All right, Pastor, you're not going to tell me anything new. Okay, I know my theology. I know my Westminster Confession of Faith. I know my English Bible. There's nothing more here. I figured it out. The day that you are not growing in your understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's a very dangerous day. Because he's always expanding our minds and our hearts to the truths of who he is. And so he looks at the religious leaders and he says, you are going to lose the kingdom and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. Now, again, for these people, that is unheard of. Think of the people. And again, I know you're good Christian people, so there's no way that you have people that you dislike. But if you were, just in theory, have someone that you dislike or would even use the word, I hate them, then ask the question, would you want them to be next to you in heaven? See, this is unheard of for the religious people that the Gentiles would be included. But Jesus says, even to these religious leaders, that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It goes to Daniel 2. And again, if you look up Daniel chapter 2, again, it talks about the big statue, remember? And it talks about gold, silver, and then gets down to the clay. Okay, and so, but there's a huge rock that's carved not by human hands that comes and smashes the idol, remember? And what is that? That's the everlasting kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And he says it's from everlasting to everlasting. So all earthly kingdoms are going to be destroyed. The only one that's not is the everlasting kingdom of heaven. 
And God comes in and he says, even despite this rejection from religious people, this is going to be established because all the people who have problems with Jesus are repenting and coming to him. Why? Because they understand he's the one who has the answers. And so, again, not anywhere in in the world has anything that's going to fix us or edify us or give us self-worth. Don't believe me? Go look it up. Look at the people who have fame. Look at the people who have money. At the end of the day, it does not satisfy. And so all these people have to have the same focus where we have. And is our focus upon Jesus. And so we have this judgment that Jesus brings, but then we have the reaction of the tenants. Now, this is more telling, I think, to me, because listen, they have heard the warning and it's a loving warning. God is telling them, Jesus is looking them in the face and he's saying, you need to repent. I'm telling you, the son of God, the Messiah that you've been looking for all of your lives, everything that you studied for, everything that you've been looking for, I'm standing in front of you. I'm standing in front of you. I'm telling you, look in the mirror. And they look in the mirror. And he says, this is not a nice view. God does not appreciate while you've lived your lives. And they see it and they kind of go, eh. Because it's too easy for us to just become lukewarm Christians. See, we're okay with just being nice, moral people. And especially in today's day and age. People don't have a problem with us in the Christian faith as long as we don't bring up Jesus. As long as we don't say Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Then we become unloving. Now, listen, if someone's drowning and you have a life preserver to throw to them, do you throw the life preserver? Yes. You don't hold on to it and say, well, I'm only going to throw it to them if they ask for it. So why do we live that way in our spiritual lives? We've been called to do the exact same thing that Jesus is doing. To go out, bring words of comfort to the hurting and the depressed and those who are overwhelmed and struggling in life. But we're also coming to give words of warning to those who think that they are saved and they're really not. They're just nice people going to hell. How do you know the difference? By the fruit. Which, again, that's easy to say, hard to do. I mean, one of the things that has been a discussion in our family this past week is what does it mean to give to the least of these? If someone's in need, what does it mean for us to give to them? Now, again, hear me very carefully. Just because they're in need, there's a need, doesn't mean that you are the one that has to answer. And you definitely don't have to be the one that answers all the time. My question to you is, are you praying about it every time? God, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want to have happen? And I can tell you, God is faithful. 
Don't be guilted into doing things. Pray. And God will answer. And he'll do it in such a way that, again, listen, how did the religious people respond to how Jesus talked to them? They sought to kill him. Because Jesus was such a threat to their lifestyle. And again, think about us. Is there things in our life that we say, Jesus, you can have everything but this? Then you know what? Then we want to crucify Jesus too. But here's the thing. God loves us. He's always loved us always will love us, so much so that he gave his son to live a perfect life that we could never live, to give to us a righteousness we can never earn so that we might be called the sons and daughters of the king. So these are either words of comfort to you or words of warning. But you have to now take the opportunity to look at your heart and say, where is my heart? Because the last thing is just simply go through the motions. And if we're sold out for Christ, there's a lot of people out there who need to hear about him. And he's asking us, now go. Go and tell the hope that you have inside. Preach the gospel. Live it out. Set people free. Because they need what you have. Don't take God lightly. Take him at his word. Apply it. And live it out. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't like that Jesus spoke to us. I wish he would have talked to the bad people. (laughs) But therein lies the problem. To think that we are somehow good and have earned the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Father, for those of us who are self-righteous and pharisaical, Father, forgive us. May we repent and run back to you. Father, for others who have walked in this morning who could have cared less or have been looking at their watches waiting for this to end, Lord, may you speak to them the truths of the gospel message so that they might hear the words of warning as well. Lord, thank you for your words of comfort and peace and grace and mercy that are brand new every morning. May we speak to ourselves the truth of that. May we speak to each other, but then send us to the lost. But Lord, may we all be submissive, 
growing in your word, spending time with you, growing in our love and admiration of who you are and whose we are. So Father, we thank you for your message so, so crystal clear, given to us once again to the tenant farmers. May you apply it today. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.